from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am in a last-minute move sitting in for Tony today. I know that you had been promised Tony would be back in the chair today, but he was actually at his home in Louisiana when Hurricane Ida reached land, which has detained him and made him unable to be broadcasting today, though he will be joining us via telephone to give us an update from Louisiana. He is coming back as quickly now as the circumstances allow, but I'm so glad that you're with us today. This is a big day for the country, and we are going to be discussing the recent breaking news that we have withdrawn from Afghanistan Finally, that's part of the program today. Other things coming up. I mentioned that Tony is going to be joining us, telling us from his perspective what's happening on the ground in Louisiana. Franklin Graham will also join us to share what Samaritan's Purse is doing to help. And you'll learn what you can do to help as well. At the end of the program, Nina Shea from the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Hudson Institute, excuse me, will join us to talk about the landscape for Christians, the latest developments even over the weekend, as well as what it means now that U.S. troops have finally withdrawn, leaving the Taliban in complete uncontested control of that country. That's what we have on the program today. I want to remind you, uh, should you want to listen to this program later or share the important news of today with someone else, you can find this program and every program at TonyPerkins.com. But first, the breaking news. Only minutes ago, General Kenneth McKenzie announced the final withdrawal of U.S. troops is complete. Let's listen to that. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan. Our military presence in Afghanistan is no more, and the Pentagon has declared the war to be over. But is it over? An unknown number of Americans and Afghans who had adopted, who had hoped for a way out of the country, remain in the country. The Pentagon today reiterated the promise made by Secretary of State Antony Blinken that the State Department would continue to work to help get out of Afghanistan those who wish to leave, even after the deadline. Secretary Blinken said last Wednesday that, quote, we certainly have points of incentive and points of leverage with a future Afghan government to help make sure that that happens. But do we? Joining me now to talk about the latest developments in Afghanistan is Congressman Chris Smith, senior member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of New Jersey. Congressman Smith, welcome back to the program. Thank you so very much. And uh, we all wish uh, uh, Tony a great deal of uh, uh, hope that he, you know, the damage was minimal and because it certainly was a horrible, horrible hurricane. Yeah, we all do, and I appreciate yeah. that very much. Um, what was your reaction to General McKenzie's announcement that our military presence in Afghanistan has been fully uh, returned? Yeah, uh, obviously, our hearts, minds, and souls are all with our troops on the ground. We want them safe, and force protection is always an overriding concern. Uh, but this entire plan of setting a date certain, in this case, August 31st, by the Commander-in-Chief, Joe Biden, uh, and the inability of so many people, both Americans and friends of the United States, Afghan translators who who helped our military uh, so heroically for years, a couple decades, uh, were not able to get through the Taliban uh, checkpoints in order to get on those planes. It is a very serious problem. Uh, about what happens to those people now. And uh, even at the United Nations today, as you probably know, Joseph, there was a, a, a vote uh, on solidarity and, and um, nice words uh, by the Security Council towards the humanitarian crisis and how we need to address it. But there was no safe zone. I wrote a op-ed for the Washington Times last week saying that we needed humanitarian corridors 
to get people, and this is in international law, as you know, is, is a very useful way of providing a, an escape route uh, for those who are about to be hurt uh, and or, or killed, and also to get humanitarian supplies in uh, for people who so desperately need it. Uh, there was a proposal by Macron uh, to do just that, but to see the uh, Security Council did not pass that. Uh, they passed a nice sounding uh, resolution, but nothing about the safe zone. Uh, so we need to insist on a safe zone, a humanitarian corridor going forward. I would have wished that the administration would have pushed very, very hard for that. Apparently they didn't. Well, to that point, I think I think the point that you're making is that despite the withdrawal of our military presence, the concerns in Afghanistan are far from over, and we have what could reasonably be described as a humanitarian crisis there that we will continue to have to deal with. We have an unknown, to my knowledge, number of Americans who are still there, a number of Afghan allies who would like to be who would like to get out, but uh, but so far have not been able to do so. Uh, Secretary Blinken, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, and the President's National Security Advisor Jen uh, Jake Sullivan all insisted that the United States has leverage when it comes to conversations with the Taliban. Uh, Republican leader, Senate uh, Republican leader Mitch McConnell uh, had this to say about the issue of leverage. I want to listen to this and let you respond. Well, they, they have other sources of revenue, as you know, the Haqqani Network and other uh, groups uh, engage in organized crime, basically. Uh, they have other sources of uh, And, of course, they're not particularly concerned about international pressure. Uh, these are barbarians uh, who uh, certainly are not motivated by uh, what others uh, may think of them, and they've got the neighboring countries that have actually been sympathetic to them. The, the uh, Pakistan government has always been somewhat sympathetic to them. So they've got kind of a friendly neighbor as well. So we have little or no leverage to get our people out or our allies. And he was, of course, responding to the specific argument that the international community could freeze Taliban assets and also just kind of condemn them as an international community. And Mitch McConnell there clearly thinks that's not going to be effective. Do we have any leverage when it comes to future conversations with the Taliban now? It's a great question. I agree with Mitch McConnell uh, in his analysis. There is some leverage, but it's very, in my opinion, minimal. You know, they have the backing of uh, a despicable human rights abuser called the People's Republic of China. Uh, Xi Jinping couldn't be happier for this outcome and will aid and abet uh, the Taliban and the terrorists uh, on the ground there. And as, as Mitch mentioned, Pakistan has been long a problem when it comes to the Taliban. Then you got Iran and other uh, rogue states uh, who are, are breaking out the champagne, if you will, uh, over America's uh, departure. Uh, you know, the fact that it would appear that our military had counseled that a modest force, uh, and it wasn't even a combatant force except for uh, the, uh, over in our skies, in their skies, and to say the U.S. Air Force, um, that that could have had a stabilizing effect, uh, as we do in other places in the world. I mean, if we were to leave South Korea tomorrow, uh, that would be an engraved invitation to Kim Jong-un to invade. And I believe that he might just do that. Uh, you look at other uh, terrible situations around the world, uh, we act as, as a, a disincentive uh, to horrific behavior, the likes of which we see with the Taliban. And, you know, we've got to be praying for and caring for and doing everything diplomatically now as humanly possible for the women and the girls in Afghanistan. We know that the Taliban is notorious uh, as child rapists. Uh, for de destroying the lives of women. Uh, and, you know, for 20 years, incrementally over time, uh, ma major rights had been achieved uh, for Taliban, uh, for uh, Afghani Afghanistani women and uh, girls. Uh, all of that is now uh, very much uh, not just at risk, it may even be gone. So I think, you know, th this was a very, very poorly planned uh, policy on the part of the Biden administration. Uh, and again, they're not looking for recognition uh, by the West, by the United States or Germany or, or the UK. Um, there, there's a loathing towards the United States. Uh, and now, unfortunately, many of our closest allies 
particularly the translators and others who were side by side with American troops over the last 20 years are in grave peril. Do you believe that the Biden administration's attempt to to use the opinion and perspective of the international community as leverage and the belief that that is leverage, does that show, does that tell us that they really just misunderstand the motivations of the Taliban? Or are they just trying to create a narrative with the American people that says it's not actually as bad as it looks and we still have some leverage? Well, you know, there needs to be a full accounting of the Biden administration. They kept putting that off whenever any reporter or anyone else raised it. Uh, we'll get to that later. And I hope, you know, the spin and the manipulation uh, that uh, unfortunately we've seen large measures of during the last several weeks and months, particularly days, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll really get the unvarnished truth about what happened. For example, why did we leave uh, to, uh, in the middle of the night, Bagram uh, uh, Air Force Base, you know, a, a, a very large defensible uh, base that gave us air superiority uh, and, and the ability to protect, uh, and instead uh, went to a, an airport that was extraordinarily hard to protect, uh, and certainly access to it was limited uh, by the Taliban, which ringed the entire airport uh, with so-called checkpoints. Uh, they were more than checkpoints. They were interdiction points uh, for people trying to make their way there, especially for Afghan uh, individuals who, have, who were supportive uh, of, of freedom and democracy in that country. So it's a, it's a very, very serious problem. And, you know, you look at our, uh, you know, this has been grossly underplayed or under-recognized by many in the media, but not here. The international community has taken the measure of Joe Biden uh, and are deeply concerned about what they've seen. Uh, Boris uh, Johnson in the UK and many other foreign leaders, uh, if you just read some of the British press, have been outspoken. The, the House of Commons voted to censure um, Joe Biden for this. And they didn't even bring our UN partners and especially our, our NATO partners uh, into this, this deadline um, uh, uh, process. Uh, they were left out in the cold to, to learn after the fact, particularly in the early days, what the United States was up to. That's no way to deal with a partnership where they have lost their soldiers and some of their diplomats and, and, and have a great deal of concern uh, for the Afghan people. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm shocked by it, why we were not coordinating uh, with our with our partners, um, you know, the UK and Germany and France, we do work well together with them uh, on many of these issues. Why keep them in the dark? So I think that will make them less inclined uh, to be working hand in glove with the United States going forward. And frankly, this has been uh, a gift, a terrible gift to the Chinese Communist Party, the North Koreans uh, and other dictatorships who feel that we are less than able uh, to manifest uh, our concern for democracy, human rights abroad. Uh, already the Chinese government is saying to the Taiwanese, uh, the United States will never have your back. Uh, and you know, the, the, we're all, we've all been concerned, especially following the fall of Hong Kong, uh, that Taiwan uh, is in the crosshairs of Xi Jinping. And look at has done. Yes. We are out of time, unfortunately. I appreciate this. We, I know we are going to have to continue the conversation, and we will, but we appreciate you being with us Thank today. You. Thank you so very much for having me on. We'll continue this, but coming up, we're going to get an update from Tony from Louisiana. How's the hurricane going? Come right back. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. 
This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Joseph back home sitting for Tony today. Yesterday, on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina's landfall, Hurricane Ida tore through Louisiana as a Category 4 storm, bringing with it 150 mile-per-hour winds and a torrential downpour. At least one death has been reported so far. Nearly half the state is without power, including the entire city of New Orleans and most of Baton Rouge, from where Family Research Council President Tony Perkins joins us now to give us an on-the-ground report of what he's been seeing and hearing. Tony, glad you're able to join us. Hey, Joseph, good to uh, good to be with you. As I was hoping I was going to be in the chair today after you filled in for me for most of uh, this month. Uh, good to see you briefly Saturday at our yes. Stand Courageous Men's Conference in uh, Lynchburg, which I then had to change plans and uh, drive uh, back to Baton Rouge to be here for uh, this storm that uh, was a massive storm. I will say this. Um, from a Baton Rouge perspective, we uh, I've been out today, been in communication with law enforcement, and been uh, assessing the parish here. Uh, we missed uh, the, the the brunt of it being on the west side of the uh, of the storm as it turned toward the east. But the southeast portion of Louisiana hit very hard. Our friends down in uh, Homa, First Baptist Homa, is going to be one of the sites where I believe Franklin may talk about this, where Samaritan's Purse is going up and talking with Samaritan's Purse, trying to assess uh, the areas that need help the most. But, you know, uh, Joseph, I, uh, you're, you're probably going to get a good assessment uh, from the media. It's kind of hard. We we don't even have communications here. Just now got cell coverage back at Spotty. Uh, so the news coverage, I'm sure, is giving the listeners a, a pretty good view of the of the broad 30,000-foot uh, level devastation. Uh, I would just say this, Joseph, I was actually going to talk about that this week or talk about this this week about, you know, we've got fires in the Northeast. We had flooding in Tennessee last week. You know, you just covered with Chris Smith the fact that our military basically on the run from Afghanistan, withdrawing and the Taliban moving in. You know, this is really uh, we need to step back and assess where America is at. You know, we're, we're being ravaged by yet another uh, virus. The, uh, the coronavirus, the Delta variant, uh, and there's another one uh, coming in behind it. You know, this looks like Leviticus chapter 26, where, you know, when we're obeying God as a nation, we receive the blessings of God. And, and the, it's our enemies that run, not us. But when we reject right. God, 
uh, and pursue our own agenda, you know, we're the ones that deal with the disease. We're the ones that have all the natural disasters, the famines, the droughts, uh, the floods, uh, and we run from our enemies. I I really think, Joseph, this is a time we need to take a spiritual inventory. Yeah, Tony, I I think you make a a good point in the the sad history of certainly the nation of Israel and the Old Testament and and the church much more recently than that is it takes a lot of pain for us to uh, reevaluate where we're at. And unfortunately, it took Pharaoh 10 plagues. How many prophets were sent to Israel to tell them, you know, you need to change, you need to change. And we're like, nah, I think we're good. We like it this way. And God just has to turn up the temperature a little bit and make it hurt more. Uh, And typically that means hurt a lot before an entire nation really comes to realize that we can't depend on ourselves. We actually don't know what we're doing and we need to repent. Do you think that's what we're seeing? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, look, I've uh, I've been in Louisiana 40 years after I came out of the Marine Corps. I've been down here a long time, and I've seen the acceleration of these natural disasters. But I, I don't want to focus just on Louisiana, um, I, although it is at the, the focus point right now. But it's happening elsewhere. I mean, I was out in California last few weeks uh, driving through the smoke of the fires there and, and beyond in Oregon, elsewhere, Nevada. Um, you know, Tennessee drove through there uh, coming home from uh, Lynchburg. Uh, Saturday, uh, reminded of the floods there. So this is, it's broad, it's widespread. And it reminds me kind of in in Isaiah chapter nine, where, you know, there was this sense of arrogance, we'll rebuild stronger. And, you know, we we took on the first round of the coronavirus, getting the vaccine, but now we have a variant that really doesn't pay much attention to the vaccine. So I, I, and I know there, Joseph, you know that there are going to be those that uh, are going to mock this and let them mock because that's what mockers do. They mock. But I'm just saying, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to, to work with Samaritan's Purse and others and respond to the needs of all people. And we'll continue to do that. But we also need to step back and ask the question, is America headed in the right direction? And I think it's quite evident that we're not. When you look at the policies of this administration and you look at the effects that you've got the Taliban now flying our helicopters, using our weapons, they're actually benefiting from the things that we created. It's the opposite of the way it should be. And I do believe that there is a spiritual message here for America. And if we don't respond, as you said, uh, the the vice is only going to get tighter. And the story of Scripture, though, is the vice gets tighter, not because necessarily God's angry, though sometimes that's part of it. It's because he cares. And the the path that we're on, the trajectory, is is not just— it's not just bad because God's personally offended. It's bad because it's bad for us. And we are violating all of the rules that God said are important for us to flourish as humans. And really, he's just kind of tries to push us onto the right path. But we are are inclined to be stubborn, aren't we? Well, yes, there's an arrogance in God saying, look, I'll show you how your wisdom works out. Uh, and, And it's not working out so well. Uh, that said, though, uh, Joseph, I would certainly encourage individuals to continue to support ministries like Samaritan's Purse, and and there's so many others, especially over in Afghanistan, even, where there's work that needs to be done for the refugees coming out there. Uh, Open Doors, USA, Voice of the Martyrs. Look, this is a, it's a great time for the church. Yes, I know it's a painful, difficult time, but we need to realize this, these, these events that we're experiencing, these, these tragedies, these challenges, these are not one-offs. These are things that Jesus said was going to be happening as we move toward the end of uh, the timeline of human history. And so these are great opportunities for ministry if we're equipped and prepared and we have the right right. mental and spiritual approach. Yeah, and, and to remember that these are the moments that God made us for. It's not an accident that we're here. And so we gotta find out what our assignment is in all of this and do that. Tony? Really appreciate you taking some time to give us an update, and we hope you can be back uh, soon, maybe even tomorrow. Thanks so much. I hope so as well. Thanks, Joseph. And that was Tony, live from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he is uh, helping his family and his friends and his neighbors and his community deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. When we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about Hurricane Ida and what we can do to help 
Franklin Graham is going to join us. He, of course, is the president of Samaritan's Purse. They are a relief organization on the ground trying to help. We're going to hear what they're doing and how we can join them. Come on back. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. And in the last segment, we got an on-the-ground report from Tony Perkins regarding the devastation left behind by Hurricane Ida. Thankfully, Tony and his family are just fine, but many are not so fine right now, and they are in need of prayer and practical assistance. And with me now to talk about his group's response to the Category 4 storm is Franklin Graham, president of Samaritan's Purse. Franklin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Well, we are thankful for you and your organization and uh, those like you who run to trouble and provide assistance. Uh, But first, tell us, what's your assessment of the situation in Louisiana and that region? Well, no question. There's a lot of damage. And um, a a lot of the assessments, so we won't be able to get accomplished for the next couple of days because uh, the authorities are not letting people in right now. Uh, because there you have power lines down across highways, trees are down across highways, and uh, and they're still doing search and rescue. Um, and as soon as the search and rescue element is over with, that should be maybe hopefully by tomorrow the next day, uh, and the roads begin to open up, we'll be able to get in. And then we'll be working with our church partners, uh, going into the, the communities looking for people that are not insured, uh, people that uh, that are elderly that don't have anyone to help them, so forth, and try to try to focus on them first. And uh, there'll be a lot of roof damage. There'll be flooding, um, and of course, uh, when you have a storm like this, uh, it just it just hits everybody in, in the path of that yeah. storm. And so we'll yes. we'll be setting up. We've got um, we're out. We're in Alabama right now with our trucks waiting uh, to get in. And then um, when when the word's given, we'll, we'll move in. We could be in place in a few hours. So we're just letting the storm get out of the way so we can get to work. How big is the affected area that you think is going to really need um, this kind of relief effort? Oh, my. it's it's. Uh, I don't know how you would measure it because it's not just New Orleans and, and Louisiana. But you have to look up into, into like the middle part of Tennessee. Oh, it's first of the Jackson area, but then it's going over to the middle part of Tennessee. 
where they had a tremendous amount of flooding just a few weeks ago. And now to bring all this rain on top of that saturated ground, there's going to be more destruction up there. So then this storm is going to is going to create a path from New Orleans, I'm afraid, all the way to, uh, into the Washington, D.C. area. And it's uh, it's it's big. And uh, and again, some of this some of this ground is already saturated with water from a few weeks ago. So how what areas is New Orleans, the area that has been hit hardest? I know this the the piece of ground that we're talking about here is massive. You know, no question. Uh, New Orleans, because of the wind, they'll have a lot more wind damage uh, as well as flooding because of the tidal surges, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're looking also the north of uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, that area there it seemed to got hit hard. And from just what we can tell, we'll be setting up in New Orleans. Uh, we were there after Katrina. We've got a lot of church partners in that area. And then we, we will probably set up three different locations in Louisiana uh, to respond just uh, to this. And uh, we already have units up in Tennessee working. And they'll just hunker down and we'll be ready to go again. Jackson, Mississippi, we actually have a COVID, uh, one of our field hospitals, set up there at the University of, uh, of Mississippi at Jackson. And um, so that, that mobile hospital is inside a, a, uh, a uh, parking garage. And so we're safe as far as, you know, wind blowing the tents down or anything like that. But it's still it's very difficult, uh, you know, treating the COVID patients. And then now dealing with a storm on top of that. It really is a, a convergence of storms, literally. Now, I want you to tell people where they can go to be part of your efforts, but also what does the, the recovery effort uh, to this look like? What kind of equipment, manpower do you need? And then, again, remind people how they can be part of supporting what you're doing. Well, we, we do need volunteers. There's no question about it. Uh, we need men and women who are willing to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and come down and, and volunteer and spend a, a weekend, spend a week, whatever the case may be. Uh, a, a lot of, It's just manual labor. It's, you know, you're cutting a tree off a roof. It's helping someone clean up a yard, mud out a home. And uh, when a person has lost so much, many times they just mm-hmm. sit there and they don't know what to do first. And when a crew comes in, and, and, and all of a sudden, muds out the home, cleans it up, and uh, now now they see light at the end of the tunnel, and it gives them a little bit of hope. And it gives us, of course, an opportunity to share the gospel. So we're looking for right. volunteers, and go to SamaritansPurse.org, SamaritansPurse.org, and uh, you can click on to the uh, relief response. You can volunteer right there, and we certainly, uh, we're looking for volunteers. That's the big thing right now. SamaritansPurse.org in Franklin very quickly got about 30 seconds how long is the recovery effort going to take how long are you going to need volunteers uh, we'll be needing from, uh, for months to come we'll talk about up until November at least okay so that is your, your call folks thank you so much for, for doing it SamaritansPurse.org also we will link to that at TonyPerkins.com but Franklin uh, we appreciate you taking the time we appreciate you giving us the opportunity to serve others and to as you said be the hands and feet of Jesus appreciate everything you do in your time today thanks so much well thank you God bless again it's SamaritansPurse.org we'll also link to it at TonyPerkins.com uh, take your kids take your church group Go help some people who are desperately in need because of Hurricane Ida, and you will be blessed in the process. Appreciate you stepping up to do so. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation of in Afghanistan. What's the situation for Christians there? We'll come on back. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. 
God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph back home with you, filling in for Tony, who we hope, uh, weather providing and weather allowing, will be back in the chair tomorrow. And you heard that update from him uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, we are going to turn the conversation uh, back to Afghanistan. You heard at the beginning of the program the breaking news from this afternoon that the United States presence in Afghanistan, the military presence, has come to an end. The Pentagon announced that the final uh, airplane has left Kabul and has left Afghani. Afghanistan air um, airspace, and they, we are now done in Afghanistan. What does this mean? How should we be feeling about this? And with me now to give his thoughts is General Jerry Boy- Boykin, who's the vice president at FRC. He's also an original member of Delta Force who served our country for more than 30 years. General, thanks for taking some time today. Hey, thank you, Joseph. Good to be with you. What is your reaction to the news that we are out of Afghanistan completely now? Joseph, it's it's a time of reflection for us as a a nation. I think it's a time for uh, Americans to determine who we are and what we stand for, what are our values, uh, because I must tell you that the values that I served for and fought for and even bled for for 36 and a half years in the U.S. Army, uh, I, I see them slipping away, and I think that this, uh, this departure was not an honorable departure. Uh, we left Americans behind, and uh, that, Joseph, uh, impacts me more than I can possibly explain to you or anyone else on the phone, but it's a time for America to do a gut check, as they say in the military, and determine who we are and and what we're going to be in the future. Are we going to continue following this agenda of the the, uh, Marxist within our government and a president that uh, supports that, or are we going to try and return to the founding values uh, of this nation and 
It's a serious question and one that will determine the future of your children and grandchildren. General, I believe that you and and those who served uh, have a different way of reacting to this. And and I I don't know that I have anything quite to compare this to. I wasn't wasn't around when we pulled out of Vietnam, and I know that that comparison has been made many times. But it does feel like when you are trying to declare victory, and I think in many ways the Biden administration continues to try to do that, to wind this up and say, you know, our mission was accomplished there – but it should feel better, shouldn't it, when we're done with something like this? Uh, no. no, no, not for me, and not for not for the thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans that served there, and and I don't think for a patriotic American that it uh, there is anything here for us to be joyful about. Yes, uh, we needed to end the war. We certainly didn't need to go out the way we did, and uh, this is—I think—this is an abysmal uh, demonstration of a, a lack of leadership at, at many levels. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's—it uh, has offered uh, uh, no solace to our allies, and it has uh, has offered our enemies a window of opportunity like China and Russia and even Iran. And as a result of that, I think America's we, we've got to, we've got to rethink who we are. Yeah. I, I think I, I framed my question poorly. What I meant to say is it should feel better than it does presently. Uh, but you answered the question, I think appropriately anyway, but it raises another question for me. You know, we think back, we know that we were there for 20 years and until today, just in the principle of leaving things better than you found them. Um, do you have any sense of whether, or an opinion, I should say, of whether either America or Afghanistan in the end is in a better position today than when we first, when we went into Afghanistan? Well, we certainly uh, created an environment there where uh, I, I would say a majority of the Afghan people were actually uh, introduced to a level of freedom that uh, that they had never known before i think that uh, by opening schools to uh, to women and girls uh, that we actually have a have 20 years of uh, of women that have been educated some have gone on to be uh, you know to universities and some have become entrepreneurs and it's a level of freedom particularly for women that uh, that environment had never produced before in its entire history. And uh, and now I think that in the end, these women that have been educated, that have been uh, shown a different way of life, have been shown a freedom that they never knew before, I think ultimately they're going to become a factor in the future of, uh, of this nation. And uh, I think that they're going to be, have to be reckoned with uh, – by the uh, the Afghan people. I think that's an important point that you make, that there are now young adults who have no memory of life under Afghanistan, you know, under the Taliban. And they've spent the last 20 years and they would have been educated and, and raised at a time period where they knew about the Taliban, certainly, but not with the Taliban fully in control. Do you have any hope that that, that experience for tens of millions of people in Afghanistan may ultimately lead to a, a place where, as the Biden administration has, has consistently been c- complaining about, that they haven't been defending themselves, but because of that experience, a new generation might rise up to do that? Do you have any hope for that? I do hope so. I, I, I clearly hope so. And I hope that, I think in the short term, that uh, we, our expectations should not be high. But I think that, uh, I think that people are going now, uh, are going into a period of where they're they're having to think through and 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 develop a vision for what they want this nation to be, and it can't be what the Taliban wants it to be. And I think that uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see more and more resistance. You already have a a resistance movement up in the in, in the mountains, and uh, I think uh, the Hindu Kush mountains. 
and and I think that ultimately what you could see is a brutal civil war here. Uh, but I think that ultimately the the freedoms that these people have known for 20 years now are going to be firmly embedded in the minds and the hearts of, of the Afghans that are still there. And I think that that's going to have an impact on the nation that Afghanistan will become. And I'm not sure that the Taliban is going to be able to hold on to power if the if the resistance movement up in the in the mountains there will reflect on what they've learned over the last 20 years, I think there is a, at least a chance uh, that we could see a different Afghanistan. General Jerry Boykin, it's a somber day, but we appreciate you coming on to share your thoughts with us very much. Thank you. Glad to be with you, Joseph. And I think the general's sentiments there are are ones that we all share. We hope that the investment made in Afghanistan has planted seeds that will continue to grow and ultimately leave that place uh, better than it has been in the past. And that is certainly all of our prayer. But there are many people, there are many... uh, There are many subplots in the larger plot, and after the takeover of Kabul, Taliban leaders had announced to the public that they will not seek revenge on opponents in Afghanistan and that everyone would be forgiven. But there are already reports coming out of Christians who have been killed for their faith. As my next guest will share, Christians in Afghanistan face a greater threat of being killed because they are considered to be apostates as well as sympathizers of the U.S. and the West. And that is why thousands of Afghan Christians have left Afghanistan with the help of NGOs over the past week. With me now to give us an update on the situation of Christians in Afghanistan is Nina Shea, Senior Fellow and the Director of the Hudson Institute's Center for Religious Freedom. Nina, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you very much, Joseph. Good to be with you. I think the general's words were very, very wise, but I, I also think he's uh, he left a hopeful note that right now I'm not feeling. Um, and tell us why that is. Well, what I'm uh, hearing and seeing, and I'm immersed with trying to resolve some of the cases, evacuate people still. Um, thousands of Christians may have left, but thousands more, many thousands more um, want to leave. And there's um, very little option, very few options for them right now. Um, There were between 10 and 12,000 Christians in Afghanistan. Most of them are uh, converts from Islam. In the Taliban's eyes, the Taliban is an Islamist extremist movement, um, jihadist movement, um, now in control of a government. Uh, that sees these people as apostates, and they believe they should be put to death. And they have sent messages, uh, phone messages to Christians saying, we know who you are, we, who you are, we're coming for you. I have one case that I'm trying to help get across the border um, through other charities that are doing this, um, uh, who, who's, who, um, whose father and brother have already been murdered in the last two weeks by the Taliban. They came to the home. He escaped. He's in hiding. He's been in hiding for two weeks. Um, so they're merciless. Uh, we, we saw in the early days that a woman was shot to death on the street because she didn't have a hijab on or she didn't have the burqa on that the Taliban required. Um, th- this is a, a ruthless group that believes in um, an extreme form of Islamic law, Sharia, um, and they rule by this, they govern by it, and they already, you know, erected their flag over the country, a white flag with black lettering that's, that is the Islamic uh, profession of faith, and they announced that um, Afghanistan has been conquered and Islam has won. So they really see this as through a religious lens in which they get to govern by their interpretation of what Allah's rules are. And these are rules that are absolutely comprehensive that pertain to um, moral codes um, that maybe we Christians would think of in terms of morality, um, but also almost everything else, like the the length of a man's beard, um, that you can be severely punished for for, um, violating those strictures 
or the color of a woman's dress, um, the length of the, her hem, that kind of thing. Um, they also um, claim to rule in the name of God and, and directly, um, that there's no human interpretation or application, and that this is um, uh, therefore uh, inviolable, and you cannot criticize it or debate it or reform it. If you do, you're considered a blasphemer or an apostate and will be put to death. So it's very hard to moderate and evolve this kind of situation. Nina, you do a good job of, of <laughs> describing the seriousness of the situation and really a kind of the nature of the opposition that, that Christians and frankly other religious minorities in Afghanistan face now. But you are one of many, I think, and hope, still trying to help people get out. How many people are still actively engaged trying to help people, Christians specifically, get out of Afghanistan? And are you able to work with the U.S. government in that effort? Because the, the White House has said in many different ways they, their effort to get people out of Afghanistan continues. Well, they start, the United States government first allowed uh, private charters to come in and to extract uh, Christians and others who needed to get out. And these did not necessarily go to the United States. They were being sent to other countries that accepted them. And in fact, 98 countries around the world have said they would accept Afga Afghan refugees. So this had nothing to do with the United States, but the United mm -hmm. States uh, would not let them enter the airport since about Thursday. So there have been no real numbers of evacuations through these private charters. And on their own planes, the United States government has not prioritized uh, religious persecution victims. They, they prioritize um, Americans, green card holders, and um, high assets in, in the military that they work with and the government that they work with over there before the Taliban took over. Um, that's understandable. They had very short time. Their, their priority of the United States is to get its Americans home. It didn't even fulfill that. Um, it, there just wasn't enough time. It was too helter-skelter. Nina, we only have about a minute left, but I want to ask you, what can people do to support the work that you and others are doing to help get Christians out of Afghanistan? Well, there's a lot of need on all different levels, from aid to um, uh, getting information, hands-on things. And I'm actually working with former ambassador at large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback, who's a friend to, I know, Tony Perkins and many other people yes. in, in the United States, well-known. And um, we're working to develop uh, a mapping list of who's out there doing what. But it's very okay. chaotic right now. Just We're just getting set up. Is there anything that people specifically can do? And again, we got about 30 seconds. Well, I mean, I think that they can give to charities that are working on these issues and they'll have to, I'm not going to make recommendations or just sure. too many. Um, Fair enough. But, and then also to pray, of course. Yes. Nina Shea, Senior Fellow, Director of the Hudson Institute Center for Religious Freedom. Appreciate your time and we appreciate your efforts. We will be in prayer for you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Joseph. And we will be in prayer. Do that. Uh, bad news, tough news today, but continue to pray. Take them to the throne of God. Uh, everyone in Louisiana and the South, as well as everybody in Afghanistan, pray that God's will will be done. We'll be back to talk more about it tomorrow here on Washington Watch. We'll see you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.